You know, some days when the music is going, I think maybe we should just sing today. You know, I that it was I could I agree, I agree, I agree with Carlene. I could have sung that song a lot more just as a statement of faith and belief, just as a as a as a worship from my heart of hearts. Thank you very much. And thank you, Carlene, for that testimony. I'm not sure what's going on, but we're going to kill this microphone and go with the handheld again, Ernie. So now you, we can uh, definitely tell the people in the mic company that it's something else. We try, we've, been, we've been trying to figure out what's wrong with this mic. A little inside baseball conversation. Um, this mic has been making that noise now for about four months, five months. And it started as a lesser noise than it was this morning. And it just keeps doing it. And we've tried different things. We've tried getting it repaired. Um, I, this actually is a hybrid. I'm wearing part of Tim's mic and part of my mic. And um, I'm just cursed. It's something in my blood that's killing this mic. So whatever the case may be, um, that's why it's off and we're going to try this other mic. I didn't mind preaching with this last week. I kind of, uh, it, it felt like a good prop. You know, I can say things. So um, I had no idea sh- that Carlene was going to give that testimony this morning. But this morning we're talking about eyes of faith. I knew that we, you were going to. I didn't remember that it was now. I am so pleased that God orchestrates the things that God orchestrates in his own time and under his own authority. So I'm excited about it. Um, I'm excited to see where, where he's going with it all. And everybody just went, he doesn't know where he's going with that? <laughs> kind of. <clears throat> I am a transition person in my family. Some of you are too. I am the first member of my family um, in a few generations to, uh, to be a person of faith, to be engaged with church. Um, it had gone away. I had, I had family members on my grandmother's side that were preachers and, and engaged and heavily involved in church life. And, and as it got through the generations after them, it kind of drifted. On my, on my grandfather's side, um, uh, with the Welch farmer or the Welch miners uh, were not heavily involved in Christianity. They weren't really uh, much for it. On my other grandfather's uh, side, on my father's side of my grandfather there, the, the German side of the family, they weren't very well engaged with church. I, I had a, a, a few generations of family where there was, there was no real believer in our family, and I was the first one back. They had been there, and I was the first one back. It's kind of an interesting transition sort of a feel. And, and in that transition, you, if those of you who are transition folks like me, you know when you, you go to family events, you stick out a bit, you know? You know, the, you know there, there's just a difference in your life when you've become a believer, you become a follower, and then, and then you go to a place, a family gathering or an event where the, the rest of the great gang isn't really a follower of Christ, and you kind of... You, you kind of stick out a bit. And that's, I was self-conscious about that a lot when I was younger. Uh, um, I, I, I am still a little, I, I have to confess, to be honest with you, I, I still am a little. When I go to big family gatherings, and I still feel a little, a little the odd duck. You know, when I'm sitting there with my inebriated uncle and he's telling me stories um, uh, that have gotten better over the years, I, I, 
I, I, I still feel a little of the separation, that transition feeling, that transition thing that happens when you're going from, from, uh, from a, a secular culture to a spiritual culture, that transition. I notice when my kids are, are swimming in that pool, it all, they, they also have a, a sort of a difference in the way that that whole thing gets related to. I'm a transition in another way, too. I'm, I'm the first college graduate in my family. And so, I, and I don't know, they may have been college graduates, you know, eight, ten generations ago. I don't know. But it, 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 there's been a gap, again, on both sides of my family. And so when I, was, when I finished high school, um, my mom had been the first high school graduate in a few generations on her side of the family. And so, so I was, the, I, I was the, the second in that line. And then, the, then going to college put me in a different kind of transition space. And so I felt that separation and, and felt that kind of... Uh, that difference, you know, there, there's no other uh, college folk and you go to these family gatherings and you, you sit there and you realize that there's an oddity about you, that there is something different about you and it's something different that you've chosen. You chose to follow Jesus. You chose to go to college. These things are separating and they're difference making and there's a, a, a kind of a different person. What's weird is deep down inside, I carry both cultures. You know, the most uncomfortable place probably on the planet for me is not back in Lisbon with the beer cans. This is going to sound weird to some of you. It's a ski slope. Those of you who grew up around this thing, you're like, yeah, what's the big deal? A ski slope seems like a place where other people go to me. Do you know what that means? And on the ski, when I go to, I haven't been in a long time now since I fell really hard I haven't been back in a while. But part of the reason is that because it, I feel like other there. You know what I mean? Is there any place in your life where you feel like other? You feel like, I just don't fit. This is not my space. I don't belong here. This is where other people go, not me. This is where those other people hang out. In that transition in your life, if you start feeling that kind of thing, the changes that are happening in your life, a lot of it is that culture you carry inside the stories you tell yourself, right? You, you have a narrative that you've been repeating inside your head for a long time. You don't know where you picked it up. It probably got started so early in your life that you don't even know where this narrative came from. Some of you, the narrative says you're not good enough. And, and you can fill in the good enough for with anything, right? You can kind of, you're not good enough for fill in the blank. You're not good enough for her. You're not good enough for him. You're not good enough for that. You're not good enough for there. You're not good enough for them. You, and you can fill in the blank with that. You're not good enough. I, I feel that. You're not good enough for ski slopes. And it's pretty good. I'm cool with it. I don't really mind too much. But you feel some space, some place in your head where you've been telling yourself a story for years. You've been repeating a story to yourself that says something about yourself. My wife and I have had opportunity to travel. And um, we didn't know we would love it. We do. We didn't know we would do it. We have. And we often will say, and I've, t I've, I've repeated this to you once in a while, that when we're in some place, you know, in, in Jerusalem or, or some place, and, and you, you stand there in awe of the opportunity. And for us, there's kind of an internal uh, a, 
re sort of adjustment of who we are at that moment. When, and for us, it's uh, just a couple of kids from Fremont. That's the story. That's the, that's the background. That's the history. Just a couple of kids from Fremont. Well, we're neither kids nor are we from Fremont anymore, but that's still the story we tell, right? There's a story inside that you tell. There's a story that can be changed by the eyes of faith. There's a story that can be changed by seeing something else. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Faith allows you to see what isn't yet. It's not all that abnormal. It's not all all that unusual. Stop and consider something for a second. Look at your shirt, your pants, whatever you're wearing. Go ahead and look at your clothes. It's all right. Look at your clothes. Go ahead. Look at your clothes. Do you realize they didn't exist at one time, right? And then somebody thought up, hey, let's make that. It started in somebody's mind. We actually will call it their mind's eye. Somebody said, hey, I know, let's make pants that look like that. Hey, I know, let's make a jacket that looks like that. And you'll go, oh. And they'll start to work on it and they'll start to think of it. They'll start to materialize that idea and pretty soon it becomes real. What you have on didn't exist until somebody thought of it and then followed through with that thought to its creation. You got it? Your mind's eye, evidence of things not seen. There are evidences all around us of this process. The things that can be changed in the future by what you see today. Things can be changed for tomorrow by what is seen today. You know why I'm a transition person? Because I saw something that made a difference in my life and I have transitioned from one culture and one lifestyle and one set of understandings and one story to a new story. Because I saw something different Somebody showed me a picture of a future that wasn't like the one I understood. And I moved toward that future and everything changed. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, the Apostle Paul, who birthed this church with three years of living there. Remember the story in Acts? Acts says that Paul stayed in Ephesus for three years. He talked to these people. He taught these people. He pastored these people. And in Ephesians chapter 1, he makes this statement about his prayer for them. Ephesians chapter 1, I'm going to begin reading in verse 18. Verse 18 is on the screen, but I'm going to read on through verse 19. He says, actually, I'm going to start in 15. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayer. So remember, Paul writes very convoluted sentences. Therefore, after I heard about all these things, I have not ceased to give thanks for you. So he, I heard about your, your faith and what's happening in your life, so I've not ceased to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. I'm praying for you, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge in him. And this is where I want to catch you. I want you to catch this statement. Verse 18, 
The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Stop for a sec. Do you know that there are eyes in your understanding? Do you know that there are, there's a vision in your heart? And he's saying, I want the eyes of your understanding to be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us? Who believe. I want your eyes, your eyes of your understanding to be enlightened. I want to change the way you see tomorrow. I'm praying that God will give you a different picture to live forward into, to give you a different tomorrow than your yesterday. To give you a different tomorrow than you maybe have ever seen before. We all do it. We all define ourselves. I don't know what your definition is. You may define yourself by your profession. I, I, I'm a historian. I'm an accountant. I'm a physician. I'm a nurse. I'm a plumber. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a carpenter. You may define yourself by your, by, by your occupation. We do it all the time. But somebody says, hello, what's your name? You give them your name. They say, the next question is so often, what do you do? Or we'll throw it out there. You know, uh, my name's Walt. Uh, and within a few minutes, I, as a pastor, I kind of hold this back on people because it freaks them out a little. And then eventually it'll come out, well, well what do you do? Uh, I'm a pastor. I've told you when I go play golf with people, I hold it out for as long as I can because as soon as I do it, they get embarrassed about the cursing and club throwing they've been doing. Now, maybe I should leave with, lead with it, but it leads to some interesting conversations at that point. We are so often identifying ourselves with our occupation. This is what my hands do, and therefore that defines me. Right? This is what my hands do, and therefore that defines me. Paul is saying to the Ephesians, I want to enlighten your understanding. I would like your eyes, the eyes of your heart to be enlightened. I would like the future to be clear to you as an act of faith. You want to see the, how this works? You want to experience this? Start to pray. And I'm not talking about praying for your food here. Okay, I'm talking about praying for the future, praying for enlightenment, praying for understanding, putting out there before God a prayer that says, I'd like to know more about you, God. I'd like to know more of you, God. I'd like to understand what the direction for my life is, God. I'd like to see you intervene in my friends or my family's life. I'd like to see you step up to this thing, God. I'm a little desperate here, God. Could you get in the game today? When you start to pray with earnestness, Asking God to intervene, you begin to see a difference. You begin to see a future that doesn't yet exist. You believe me? Okay. Do you remember when Samuel was sent to anoint David? It's way back in 1 Kings. Samuel was sent to find the new king. He brought his oil. He wore his hat. Two pictures look exactly like this on the internet. One of them has that, one of them doesn't. I chose the one with the hat. I don't know. It's kind of cool looking. He brings his oil, wears his hat. He goes looking for this kid. He gets led to the right family. He goes to the family, and then he starts asking for the children. Remember the story, right? And the, and the father starts bringing the children, as a father would, oldest to youngest, particularly a father at that period in history. And the oldest son comes in, and Samuel looks at him and says, This has got to be the next king. Look how awesome he is. 
Samuel had just had anointed the previous king who was head and shoulders above the entire company of people in Israel. He knew God wanted an awesome king to be king because he had seen Saul. And now as he was anointing the new king, the first son comes out and he goes, this is a man. This is a specimen. Let's let him be the next king. And God says, no, not him. In fact, God adjusts the eyes of his understanding. He does a little lens implant, if I can steal from Carlene. He says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him, for the Lord does not see as a man sees. So if the Lord does not see as a man sees and he enlightens your understanding, wouldn't you expect to see something different? The Lord does not see as a man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at what? The heart. The God is looking at the inside. He sees things differently. And if he's going to enlighten your future, enlighten your understanding, enlighten your heart, expect to see things, some things that don't exist. Don't get all weird and ghosty on me. It's not that kind of things that don't exist. It's things that will exist by the authority of the calling and the inheritance and the power of an almighty God. Why would we pray for healing if we didn't believe that? That the circumstances of today in the hand of God can be different. Now, I know some of you are just said, just said in your head, I, but he doesn't always heal. That's true. We live in the armpit of the universe. Not everything we ask for do we get. In fact, the, the, the death rate here is 100%. Sin still reigns, but we still ask. And the scripture encourages us by turning on the light of our understanding to keep asking. Right? Call the elders and have them anoint the sick and ask God to change tomorrow. Right? New eyes create new reality. Look at your pants. They didn't exist at one time. And somebody said, hey, let's make pants like that. And then they thought about it, and they planned for it, and they executed on it. Poof! Pants! You're not impressed with pants, are you? You would be really upset if they weren't here. Have more respect for pants. No pants, very embarrassing. If you've had that dream, you know what I mean. Oh, you laugh because you have! I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Ephesian church people whom I, I've lived with for three years and, and who, who, whose faith grew out of a picture of the future that I painted for you, I pray that your eyes might be enlightened to see the future God holds for you. Second Kings chapter 6, the Syrian king plans a war with Israel. And the king of Syria was making war against Israel. He consulted his servants saying, my camp will be in such and such place. He tells his servants, we're going to go, we're going to start our attack in this place. 
And the man of God, Elisha, sent to the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you do not pass this place. The Syrians are coming down there. And then the king of Israel sent someone to the place of which the man of God had told him. Thus he warned him, and he was watchful there, not just once or twice. So this happened multiple times. King of Syria says, okay, that place wasn't good. That didn't work out. Let's try a different place. They send another army to a different place. And Elisha said, hey, don't go to that place because there's trouble over there. And he said, okay. And he sent a watchman. And there was truly trouble over there. He didn't go. And so nobody showed up. And the king of Syria went back home when his groceries ran out, I guess. And so he tried a third place and a fourth place and a fifth place. I don't know how many times he tried. But he starts to get a little frustrated because it seems that the king of Israel knows his plans. Because the eyes of the prophet were enlightened about the future, and he told the king. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing, and he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me which one of us is for the king of Israel? There's a spy in the camp. Somebody tell me who he is. One of his servants said, None, my lord. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. That's pretty poignant. The the prophet Elijah knows what's going on with you. He tells the king of Israel your secrets. The things you say in your bedroom that nobody else hears. Elisha's saying to the king, you know what he said? He was watching this TV show and he was like, yeah, Yeah, that's what happened. And the king of Israel was Really? He said that? Oh, yeah, God told me. He tells you, he tells him everything there is about you. So the king says, go see where he is that I may send and get him. Now, no, he doesn't say send and kill him. If you could get this guy on your side, wouldn't you want him on your side? You know, he's like this, he's like the, the magic ball, right? The crystal ball. I can get Elisha the crystal ball in here, rub his head and he'll tell me stuff. Right? Crazy how the world works. We will go to the, to the extremes of almost anything to not go to God for the future. People will sit around in circles with creepy people holding hands, looking at little balls on the table, waiting for Satan to tell them about the future because they don't want to go to God for it. And if the Bible says God will enlighten your understanding and thus give you a picture that doesn't quite exist yet. Not wild. So he says, tell me where he is so I can go and get him. And his people already knew. So they said, surely he is in Dothan. Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there. And they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God rose early and went out. Can I just stop here for a second? Did you ever notice that it's always the servants who get up first? All these Bible stories, same story. Where's Elisha? He's napping. He's still in bed. He's waiting for breakfast. I'm just saying... And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And the servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? Elijah, wake up. We're surrounded. So he answered, Do not fear. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. The servant sees with unenlightened eyes, and he sees the trouble that exists. Elisha sees with enlightened eyes, not unenlightened eyes. He sees the answer 
that exists. Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened his eyes, the servant's eyes, the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire. By the way, that was not invented by a movie maker back in the 70s. It was there in the kings already. Chariots of fire all around Elisha. The servant looks out and he doesn't see the problem anymore. He sees the answer to the problem. You see, when God enlightens your eyes, you see his answer in the face of the problem. Second illustration. You've been telling yourself a story over and over, right? And the story has been limiting your options. It's been limiting who God knows you are. I've been telling myself a story that I don't belong on ski slopes. It's probably saved my knees, but who knows? Maybe I was going to be an Olympic skier. Probably missed that boat. A woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years hears that Jesus is in town. The Bible says that he'd gone across the Sea of Galilee to the other side and they've come back. They're probably landing at the beach, the beachside harbor. Jesus gets out of the boat with the disciples. They begin to enter Capernaum. Capernaum's not a big place, maybe 15, 20 acres at the, big, at the outside. And as they make their way into town, people besides the woman hear that Jesus is in town. And the Bible says they throng him. They gather around. They just pack in around him. They, they crowd him on every side. And as Jesus starts to make his way into the town, the, 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 the leader of the synagogue, a man named Jairus, says, you have to come and take care of my daughter. She's very ill. And Jesus says, okay. And he starts on his way to Jairus' house. And in the midst of the throng of people is a woman who's got a story. The Bible tells us her story. For 12 years, she's had an issue of blood. She woke up one morning, and and it had started, and she wasn't overly uh, shaken by that because this had happened before. And so she she just simply says, "Okay, this this will go away in a day or two. It'll be different. It'll it'll change. This is normal. It's it's okay. I'll be fine." And so she she waits, and a day goes by, and two days go by, and three days go by, and four days go by, and she's like, "Man, this uh, this isn't." normal something's wrong and she's starting to feel a little weak and anemic and and she's starting to struggle a little bit and and as she she deals with this thing she goes to some friends and she says would you pray for me something's happening and i i'd like to see you know you all pray and and nothing seems to be happening yet and 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 pretty soon as word gets out that she has this issue of blood the, the priests and the religious people say, hey, you're not welcome in church 
anymore. Religion and, and her experience, her issue, don't mix. And so they say don't come to church because you're unclean and therefore you will make the rest of us unclean. You need to stay out of church, sweetie. And so she stops and she starts looking for doctors. She starts trying to find answers and she starts searching the Internet for, for what might be able to be popped in her mouth that would stop this from happening. And then she sends money to Amazon and she spends money on this physician and somebody tells her to try that one and she goes to that one and she goes around until she runs out of money and she runs out of options. There's, there's no more drugs. There's no more doctors. The people in church don't want her to come in the church anymore. She's at her end. She has no more options. She looks at her story and she says, the only answer to this story is death. The end of this story is clear. I'm going to die. That's going to be the end of my story. And then, with her ear ever to the grapevine, she hears about Jesus. She can't go to church and hear him. He's preached at her synagogue right there in Capernaum. He's, he's been in this town a lot. And she begins to hear stories about Jesus. She begins to hear that he does miraculous and powerful things in people's lives. She hears about healing of blind men. She hears about raising of people from the dead. She starts to hear, and as she hears about Jesus, a little kernel of hope is born down inside. And she begins to, to wrestle with that hope. She's tried hope before. She's hoped in the church and the church rejected her. She's hoped in the doctors, and the doctors have failed her. She's hoped in medicine, and, and, and medicine has been worthless to her. And now she's broke, and she's hopeless. But there's this Jesus, and he seems to provide a different kind of answer. And so she begins to consider, could he be the Messiah that I need? Could he be the answer that I am looking for? And she starts to tell herself a different story. She says, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I could be made whole. She's telling herself that story. The implication from the, the original language is that she's been repeating this story. She's telling herself, I believe that if I could touch the hem of the garment of Jesus, I could be made whole. And she begins to repeat this story to herself. And it begins to change things. And the more she repeats, listen carefully, the more she repeats the new story of an enlightened eye with hope and faith, she deletes the old story of hopelessness and loss. Because you can't keep the hopeless old story and the hopeful new story at the same time. The new story, the new story she repeats deletes the old story she was told. And if you've been told you're a loser, if you've been told you can't be rescued, if you've been told you can't be saved, if you've been told you're a sinner so black God doesn't even care about you, if you've been told that you are worthless, I am telling you right now, repeat the story that you have hope and you have worth and you have value because Jesus died for you, that you have an eternity promised if you will trust in Him, if you will love, if you will allow Him to love you, He will take you where you are and transform who you are and he will eventually land you next to him at the table round the throne in the heavens. Tell yourself that story. It will delete the old one. She tells the story, if I could just get to Jesus, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, it will change everything. 
And so she defies the old story. She defies the old story. The religious had said, don't get into crowds, don't touch people, don't get engaged with people like this, don't go near these, this messianic type, don't be around the rabbis, you're unclean, don't go, don't get there, stay away. And she defies them and she moves through the throng of people touching everybody. Had the rabbis who declared her unclean been there, they would have parted the waters to keep from touching that woman. And there she is. She's moving through the crowd. And as she gets near to Jesus, she gets down low. The crowd isn't moving very fast. And she gets down on her knees, on her knees near his feet and she reaches out and she touches the hem of his garment. And the Bible says that Jesus felt power go out from him to her. You know there are times when you just need to reach out and touch the hem of his garments. So there are times when you and I need to reach to him. He's waiting for us to reach out. He's waiting for us to touch him. Jesus doesn't touch this woman. Jesus doesn't stop and confront this woman. Jesus doesn't say, there's somebody here who needs me. Wait a minute and turn to her. She reaches out to him. She had told herself the story. She believed what God was saying in hope. And she touched the hem of his garment. And her faith made her whole. That's what Jesus tells her. Jesus says, woman, your faith has made you whole. Let me just close here. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will see the call of Jesus on your life. That you will see the call for a different tomorrow. That you will see the call for a different purpose. That you will see the call for a life full of meaning. That you will understand the power of the inheritance already placed within you. The giftedness. The blessings. The person that you are. Packed with an inheritance that is God's. If you will let it out, the kingdom will be changed. And that you will understand by the enlightening of your eyes. The power of God has to offer you his calling the kingdom's inheritance his power in our life I pray that your eyes may be enlightened so that you will see tomorrow what doesn't exist today I know what the doctors have said I know what your situation looks like I know how you feel but God says I can do things tomorrow that aren't here today some of us will face death with a smile on our face because we know that our eternity and our tomorrow and that tomorrow and the next tomorrow and the next tomorrow are secure. Some of us have been telling us ourselves a story that has crippled us. It's time to tell a different story, a story of faith, a story of hope, a story enlightened by Jesus' presence in your life. It's time for us to have 
a story, not based on who we are, but based on who he is. His calling, the kingdom's inheritance, and the power he offers for change. Let's pray. Father in heaven, help us to understand what you have for us. Help us to address the, the things we face in the knowledge of your authority, not ours. Help us to stop telling the stories that limit us and begin hearing your voice calling us into a different reality to see the power of our lives impact in the kingdom that there would be people in heaven because we followed you that somebody is saved because we've accepted that you have placed gifts in us to touch their lives that we would be able to be a tool in your hands for the salvation of somebody else that we will accept that the power of heaven is possible in our situation and that we'll tell ourselves that story the story of faith the story that is infilled and enlightened by Jesus.